And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell. He scores the ball and he rebounds well. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luca. The timing sucks because the maps are ass. But did you see his no look pass? Whoa! 77 minutes in heaven. Welcome to 77 Minutes, the Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Tim Cato. I write about the Mavericks. Did write about the Mavericks this Monday morning. And I think I'm really just going to kind of turn it over to Dave. We've got Dave and Mike, but I'm just going to kind of let Dave run the ship here. Since I, I think I and the story I wrote with Sam Amick this morning is, yeah, I would I would say that's probably going to be the focus of this episode. Yeah, well, you've already done so much of the heavy lifting here. I mean, we're kind of talking not so much about you, but about the work that that you put out, right? And I'd love to just get more context here because it obviously seems like a very odd power struggle because it's it's not like a traditional tug of war i would say um his position uh bob vulgaris's position is so unique and i don't know that we've seen anything like this before um i mean can you can you guys come up with any corollaries <laughs> i think there is one we probably don't know about it right right and that's a credit to the reporting tim and sam did to uncover just how much influence bob has amassed in his time in dallas i mean it's a very nebulous role you know, like, what mm-hmm. did you know? What do you really knew, know about Bob Vulgaris before this story, right? You knew he was the guy on Twitter and you knew he was, you know, analytics guy and he worked for the Mavericks. You didn't hear a lot for the last several right. years. So if there was a corollary going on, I don't know about it, which I think is by design. I don't think, I mean, th- they didn't advertise that Bob was, you know, assuming this level of power behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, so Tim, what are some of the differences just in their approach since Bob has been on board there? Um, just, you know, kind of walk us through it a little bit. I mean, how how different is his vision from the Mavs front office? Yeah, just go, well, one quick slight step back. I think the Mavericks have always had an interesting power dynamic um, that never always made sense to me. It's always been something I've been interested in. And, and, you know, when I hear this or that or whatever about the the way that they end up making decisions, it's not... It's usually not a linear or a or a consistent way. Like Mark Cuban's the most powerful por- person, but when he chooses to defer and for what reasons and to who and to you know who he's listening the most at at the time, all of that stuff I, I think you know has never had a coherent, cohesive level of um, or you know just like order of operations, if you will. And and so I think that's very interesting. Um, in terms of you know how the team looks different um, over over the past years and and you know with with an influence of, of Bob a very analytically minded person who wanted to bring Luca into the team um, 
with Luca on the roster, he wanted to build this this specific offense around it. I think you can see a lot of the a lot of the steps and and a lot of the way that you know this this has been a roster who who wants to run spread, spread pick and roll around Luca and wants to put two way defenders with them. And they've tried repeatedly with Delon Wright and with Josh Richardson. You know they've they've brought in players who supplement and and complement that vision. And I don't think it's a vision that is only held by one person. To be to be clear, either you know I, I don't. You know, I, I don't look at Bob and say, well, he wanted to do things one way and everybody else was just like, no, no, no. But but Mark was listening to him. I mean, I'm, I'm an analytically minded person as well. And I tend to think that building that, you know, that sort of team around Luca is probably the right way to go. And in a lot well, of you ways, get to a right. You get to the playoffs faster. Right. Like, I mean, for sure, you it's, it's going to be great in the regular season. I think the most important question to ask is, is this how Luca wants to play? Right. You know, that's that's the only thing that matters. You know, how Carlisle wants to coach or how Bob Volgaris wants them to play doesn't matter. I would guess Luca probably likes this way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he obviously loves it. I, I think that, you know, the mixed we did we talk about the mixed messaging of, of what Carlisle I, I, we didn't on the podcast, I think, because we recorded that morning. And then afterwards, there was exit interviews last week on Monday. And, and there was, you know, quotes from Mark uh, later that week. So it was Mark and Rick and Donnie all saying slightly different things about uh, Luca should have the ball less and assist more. And 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 then Rick was like, well, we just need to bring in a ball handler to to make sure that, you know, we, we reduce the burden on him. And Mark said something similar. But then Rick, when he was asked about the type of player that's going to fit next to Luca, described, a, uh, you know, a three and D wing. And I think that's a big question. You know, it, it comes down to every decision is made through the lens of Luca at this point. That's something we tried to communicate with the story. And I think that's that's obvious. That's how the NBA works. When you get to the point that you have a star of this magnitude and you really have to care about his timeline and and what's going on and, and what's, you know, what's going ahead with him and, and how you build around him, you have to think about, you know, okay, what is what does this person want? And, you know, if 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 we have a different idea for for the team that that doesn't jive with his own, you have to convince him. And there's another thing that, you know, it just consistently it. it Bob didn't communicate these things well when he did have interactions with players because players didn't like interacting with them. That you know, the, a lot of them, you know, for this story, there there was you know we have a reporting that the that the locker room was just frustrated by this person who you know you know and that's you know that's where the rigid rotations come from and things like that. There was just frustration with them all around you know the league, the team, wherever, and and I think that's you know that's something that we put in the story uh, pretty accurately. Well, I mean, and we we have talked on this show about the rigidity in the rotations and how, you know, that was a little bit counter to the way Carlisle has coached traditionally. And we didn't see a, a lot of the adjustments during the season and Mike, we talked about it. It was a, it was a thing. Right. Yeah. Then, you know, now we have some explanation for why that is. Yeah. And I mean, I got to think that's pretty rare. Not that the analytics department had or or someone in an analytics capacity has input on lineups. That's common. But to have that sort of control, I think, has got to be pretty rare. Especially when it comes to a coach who he's won the only championship in the history of the organization. Uh, now, there's also been a lot of, you know, I wouldn't say flameouts, but there hasn't been anywhere near that level of success since then, right? This team has not gotten out of the first round since they won a title. We were going on, we just hit the 10-year anniversary of said NBA title. But this isn't just some coach. This is the most successful right. coach in the history of the organization. 
Yeah, I mean, well, we, I think we view Tim's Rick reporting. As, I thought, yeah, re- kind of reflected that that his status in the in the you know in the organization was sort of waning a little bit, and, and maybe him going along to get along w- was a great way to kind of try to iron out some of their issues. I, I don't. I mean, is is this a thing, like, Tim? Am I am I following the trail correctly? Yeah, I mean, it's what we've talked about in this podcast a, a million you know a million times. We put it in the piece. It's not that Rick, as a coach, doesn't consistently get the most out of players. We all agree that he does. Um, and, and when we look at the the failure to even advance past the first round over the past decade, um, there are people in the Mavericks fandom sphere and on Twitter who like to, you know, immediately point fingers at Carlisle. And we never have because, you know, we do feel like this is a person who, you know, tactically is his acumen there is is, you know, proven time and time and time again. But you have to look again through the lens of Luca, and if Luca is someone who is tuning him out, or if Luca is someone who just doesn't view him as a you know as as a as a figure that he wants to you know go to war with and, and go into the future with, um, you know that's that's something you have to consider, and and that's and that's very clearly uh, what where the reporting took us is that you know it was something that you know from from Mark on down, it, you know the, everybody in the franchise, you know their roles and and their you know the level level of influence they had over the team were going to be examined, and uh, you know so I think I think that's how it relates to Luca specifically. Um, I, it should be noted that you know we didn't report that Luca is out here specifically trying to use influence to oust Rick or something like that. I think it's right. actually a clear sign that he wasn't by just immediately saying um, in in the exit interview, "Yeah, I'm going to sign the extension." More or less, he said that. You know, he's like, "I think you know mm-hmm. the answer to that." Yeah. That 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 seemed like a moment where sure if 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 Luca was out here trying to get something done then he would have had that hanging over the team's future where it would have been leveraged and and so I don't think that's the case I don't view it that as the case so you know I think that's you know it's in the reporting but you have to kind of read between the lines and I'm happy to enunciate that um, yeah. but but I do think I do think the team is viewing his his influence and and what he wants going forwards and I think that's that's crucial that's crucial to every decision they make in each step of the way. They have to think about all right. Is is this something that's going to make Luca more uh, more happy and, and more tied to this franchise and you know boost his desire to to want to be here long term, or is is he to a point where you know he sees the player empowerment era and and the movement that stars are capable to make? And even though that's years down the road, that is something that already a good capable front office and a team owner like Mark Cuban has to be thinking about and is thinking about. And I think that just plays into a lot of the dynamics here. Yeah, I mean, it's an absurd amount of money on this on this extension. But I've waited years for someone to just sign the qualifying offer who's not Greg Monroe. Like someone who – like Luca. I thought Ben Simmons might be that guy. But, you know, so much money to turn down. That's that's real leverage there, but uh, like you said, the way he seemed coming out of those exit interviews did not seem like a guy who's sitting here trying to, you know, politic his contract into more power. I think he's probably the most powerful guy in the organization. Yeah, after the owner, right? And I think if <laughs> well, you, I mean, maybe, maybe not, before, right? right? Like, yeah, Mark Cuban can't guarantee a title by himself, but Luka Doncic can come close to it, maybe with the right supporting mm-hmm. cast. Yeah, in terms of who is wielding the power it's definitely Mark. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but in terms of sure. luca getting what he wants because he's a star player in the nba and that is how the nba works absolutely i i would say the the power of you know the team and their future 
revolves around Luca. I think one of the takeaways I had through the editing and through the, you know, the reading of the story and uh, is just, look, as this has come out, obviously, this has been a nuclear bomb on Twitter. I've been seeing it all day, not just in Dallas, but throughout NBA sources. And uh, predictably, uh, a lot of Mavs fans are have a lot of consternation about what's going on and are very alarmed and very worried. Um, if there is one thing that I took away, maybe this is, you know, I don't know how obvious this point is, but it probably should be made that should, I suppose, make Mavs fans feel a little better. It's that they aren't as, you know, for years, there's been this narrative of Dallas's stability. We know what Dallas is. It's the same three guys in charge. It's Cuban, it's Donnie, it's Rick all day, every day. Well, what we did not know was that even if those three people are the figureheads of power, that is not, they haven't been as complacent with those three people making all the choices as we probably thought for the last several years. So it isn't as though it's, we're just going to go business as usual, go down with the ship, whatever we did 10 years ago that won us a title, it'll be fine. It'll all work out. Behind the scenes, they clearly, at least Mark Cuban clearly has thought we have to shake things up. Has this been the right way to go about it? I don't know. Is Bob Vulgaris the right guy to do that shakeup? I don't know. But what we he, know for sure is he, that go ahead. Well, he hasn't he hasn't he hasn't. I, I think if you dramatically want to shake up the team, you change the power structures at will, or you know, at, at B that, that that do exist. And Donnie Nelson has been with this team for 15, 16 years. Right. And, you know, the piece doesn't really talk about Donnie. I, I don't think I don't think it's complimentary to him either. You know, he was the one who spearheaded right. three trades that yeah. didn't really work out, all three of them. And so when you when you look at it in that context, um, you know, this this team has been well known around the league for, you know, just keeping people in place consistently over time. Um, you know, this has been a reputation they developed over a decade, not not over you know the past three years. And so I, I do think it's both fascinating that they are bringing in a, you know, that they brought in a new voice who had a lot of sway and and had a lot of influence over the decisions they made. While also keeping that same structure, and that's exactly where so so much of this confusion came from, where people were right. people around the league, other executives were like, "Who should I actually be talking to at this point? You know, am I am I talking to someone who, you know, only only uh, only makes decisions if if it's greenlit above him or something like that?" And and that's that's such an interesting through line for a team to make changes in the in the exactly the ways that you were talking about. And and lead a slightly different vision of of how basketball operates and and what you should be trying to do on the court, while also leaving the same structures in place. It's very obvious to to imagine how conflict would arise from that. I mean, it's not it's not difficult at all. Like that is how yeah. it works, and especially yeah. especially at such a high level of of sports organizations like this, where everybody around them, even the people in front offices, and even the people in ownership, and even the people. Who are just making decisions on a day-to-day basis that you know everybody has such this such a high level of competitiveness uh that that just permeates and broods and and you know steers around everything and you know i think it's clear that mistakes were made it's 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 not just clear like it's it's very very obvious that the, the way that they approached um this this power shift was just not managed in a way that you know led to a a front office that was functional enough and you know say what you will of the moves that they made. Um, we talked about how game seven was an indictment on the front office, um, an indictment on the roster on Luca, because when your best player scores 46 and 14 and you're not even competitive in the final minute, you know, that, that is, that has to be, you know, there's wrong. nobody else to put that on, but the front office. I guess my point is just simply that they are a lot closer to a tipping point in how they changing, how they operate than what, 
we probably publicly expected, right? I mean, that's that that's the real thing. If there is if there is ever a revolution in this front office, it will it turns out that it will not be nearly as abrupt as it might seem from the outside because they've been for the last three years there have been real changes behind the scene. Right? Like Tim said, not the way you probably want to go about it. Easy to see how this could lead to a lot of tension. But uh, they're not complacent. I, I think that is probably something we could safely conclude. They didn't just sit there and say, oh, the same three guys who got us the title 10 years ago, they're unchecked. Clearly, there have been checks. Now, what does that mean going forward? That's the real question here. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Tim, the question to you is, do you expect this to continue? Like, is this going to be the power structure for next season? Do you expect changes or is this going to be more of the slow turnover that's going to take maybe a couple more years to to complete? I'd be shocked if there wasn't changes this summer. You know, I think it, I think every everything is pointing to that direction. Um, mm-hmm. As someone with an analytics mind and and you know, kind of viewing the sport that way, if if it's Bob in a in a role where you know he is advising in in the ways that you know he was during the stretch of the season after he wasn't physically with the team anymore. Okay, I, I I could I could hear out the reasoning behind that, and and it maybe it's in that case it's Donnie moving on. If if it's purely Bob just saying, you know, the, the the team looking at Bob and saying, you know, we we just can't have someone who you know is is in this role without you know the let me think about say this. If it's if it's the team looking at Bob and saying, you know, your role as as it was established, you know ran rampant way beyond the the boundaries of what it was supposed to be it, it could be that too maybe it's something else that i i don't even see or you know at, at, at minimum you know it's just stuff that i've heard i speculation or, or ideas or or whispers about like that that seems to be you know whatever whatever it is i i would be very surprised if if the power structure didn't change at all and to some level it's always going to be mark at at the top steering the ship he is the most powerful person in the organization um 
you know, as you know, certainly on a on a day to day level in terms of making decisions about how the team is going. Um, that's him, as we talked about, and and I think the bigger question and, and the concerns that were floated at at Mark from from people who, you know, don't have any reason to say so except for the fact that you know they they've seen it themselves and they've heard about it and and all that is is that you know is Mark someone who is is going to figure out you know exactly why things went wrong and you know push things in the right direction and i think that's where the concerns come from and and that's the internal concerns and fears that you know nobody wants to look back in five years and say we really messed up the luca situation you know this was our chance to build a contending team a contending title team uh once again something they haven't done in a decade and have really missed on consistently throughout their you know throughout their you know, inability to build a, you know, sign free agents and and put a team around Dirk. Nobody wants to look back and and say, you know, shit. This is this is where we're at, and we could have handled things better. And I, I think it's it's reached. You know, this summer it, it was always going to reach a breaking point, and it was always going to reach a moment where changes had to be made. And I think this story, you know, certainly gets ahead of it to to a degree. But the reason we were able to report the story is because things were circulating and forming and and coming up this summer specifically, where I feel very strongly that that something will change. Um, very curious to see what it is. Mike, any any closing thoughts here as we wrap up the pod? No, I, I think it's we already knew this was going to be a defining summer for. Probably mm-hmm. the next half decade of this franchise. Now there are even more stakes thrown on top of that. So it is going to be must see viewing the entire way because the decisions they make will will affect a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not going to be quiet on the basketball front either. Like they have other stuff. They have to build a basketball team. Oh yeah. Not yeah. just fix whatever's happening in the front office. So right. I mean, that's, uh, we, yeah. how much have we talked about that? I mean, they, exactly. you know, you look at the roster itself, you know, there's, KP isn't in, in the story at all. There's questions about him. You know, there's there's questions about, you know, Tim Hardaway, a, man. Is it a three and D wing or is it a paid. secondary ball handler? Like, can you can you sign or trade for or acquire some way a secondary ball handler that fits next to Luca that Luca wants to play with that Luca is willing to give up the ball to? You know, these are all big questions that we've discussed at length, and you know, it's it's not stuff we need to report on. You know, it's it's not something that right. I need to drop a, a story Monday morning. And, and, you know, say, you know, these are the big questions for the Mavericks offseasons. I think anybody, you know, who follows this team and, and, and sees, you know, what it's looked like over the past couple seasons and what it's looked like in playoff series against the Clippers. Yeah, we know. We know. So I think I think that's that's it. We'll we'll do a quick, you know, just a just a quick pod. Just wanted to kind of talk about the, you know, the bigger context of, of some of the stuff we reported. Um, it was all on The Athletic. Um, Theathletic.com slash 77 Minutes in Heaven. Should be discount codes there that that you can subscribe through, and and yeah, I think I think the the reporting and the story stands for itself. It, you know, we didn't we didn't go over every single detail in there. I don't think we needed to. You know, go go check that out, and you know, consider consider what we talked about and in, in the framing of that. And we'll be back at some point down the road. We'll see when and where, but you know, stay subscribed to the feed. We'll have something soon, I'm sure. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Future for time MVP. Oh my god! Oh! Oh! Oh!
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.